0: This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, March 31st. I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, open space plans summer projects, eyes to ears with Bella Eatman, avalanche class opens up new terrain, and a mountain weather forecast. As of last month, the valley floor, free of debt and its bond paid off, belongs securely to the Telluride community. The town's Open Space Commission oversees the valley floor, as well as the Bear Creek Preserve and a few other spots in town. The commission works to maintain these spaces for recreationists and nature alike. Programs Director for the Town of Telluride, Lance McDonald, says the commission's focus for this upcoming summer looks a lot like last year.
1: The top priority for next year is weed management and mitigation. It was the top priority last year, but as you may recall, we had uh, some crews cancel right before the season was supposed to start because of staffing issues with one of our partners. So we're trying to avoid that this year. We're on the phone, like constantly trying to secure the appropriate amount of crews necessary to go out and do a lot of weed mitigation.
0: McDonald presented the Open Space Commission's 2023 work plan to town council this week. Weed mitigation entails using hand tools and the occasional natural herbicide to knock back invasive weeds on commission lands. One of the biggest targets, the seemingly harmless oxeye daisy with its ring of white petals surrounding a yellow button center. Councilmember Adrian Christie was a bit perplexed on why the daisy posed a threat.
2: And does it use more water? Like, why is this a problem? Feels like we're spending a lot of money on getting rid of these things, and I don't quite understand why it's an issue.
0: The state of Colorado, McDonald explained, publishes a whole list of noxious weeds, as they can disrupt native ecosystems. Although the topic raised chuckles from council, McDonald says it's part of their duty
1: as land stewards. Mm -hmm. As a landowner, we have a responsibility to eradicate uh, oxide daisies, Canada thistle, musk thistle, yellow toad flax, leafy spurge, which I don't think we have. There's a few others.
2: I mean, you know about the leafy spurge. Yeah,
0: okay. (laughs) Other ongoing open space projects include improving signage on trails, including, as some hikers may have noticed, ongoing updates in the Bear Creek Preserve. Here's McDonald's.
1: We're updating all the signs in Bear Creek Preserve. We made great progress last year. We refurbished the existing sign. We um, also created metal sign holders to show the new regulations types of signs. We developed new graphics for the regulation type of signs, and we have already worked on replacing the map and also editing the text or the content that goes with that map.
0: Another priority is forest health. Throughout the Rockies, invasive species are decimating Douglas fir populations. There are some defenses, McDonald explains, which open space is actively employing.
1: We also were successful this year in installing 500 MCH patches to every dug fir we could find in the open space that we have in Bear Creek and also in the open space around Cornette Falls. And again, these patches are pheromone patches that send out signals to the uh, insects that that tree is occupied and they should move on to go infect different trees.
0: Mayor Delaney Young adds protecting those trees feels like a priority, especially given the state of Douglas firs elsewhere in the Rockies.
2: Driving through the state and seeing all of these areas that are being completely and utterly decimated, Mm -hmm. I feel like we're pretty lucky right now. Mm -hmm. Is there any additional things we can do, and therefore funding, that you may need from the set-aside, should we go into excess with protecting our forest? The truth,
0: McDonald says, is that tactics in place right now might be as good as they get. He adds that patterns from Telluride's past could have given the ecosystem some added resilience.
1: It was more of the logging that occurred during the mining era created more of an age mosaic in the forest. Well, that's why we have this aspen stands above the town of Telluride. Those were areas that were logged. Well, those types of diversity, the type of diversity helps, you, helps the forest become a little bit more resilient to insects and, and fires.
0: Open Space frequently meets with forest scientists to keep up to date on management practices. They also track groundwater levels and long-term ecosystem patterns on all their properties. Council voice support and appreciation for the Open Space Work Plan for 2023. This week on Eyes to Ears, Telluride High School's Bella Eatman is getting a little muddy. Have a listen.
3: Good evening, listeners. Welcome to the Kodo segment, Eyes to Ears. For those of you who are new, this is the Kodo segment where I, Bella Eatman, describe paintings I find in local art galleries. And then there are the occasional interviews here and there. However, today I will talk about a painting by an artist who was recommended to me a while ago. This is the painting, If I Could Tell You, by Unica Rogers or as some people online would call her, the Red Dirt Lady. The entire painting consists of earthly blacks, reds, and oranges, as the paint itself is made from desert dirt, hence the nickname. All is dark, except for the light that hangs above as a woman splays herself onto a table, leaning to the right of the canvas. She rests on her left arm while her right arm holds the base of a full wine glass. She has long, dark, almost black hair falling past her shoulders like falls of oil. Yet still, she stares at us, the viewer, with an emptiness to her expression, all except for her eyes. They hold a sadness that whispers, you don't know what I've been through. You can't look behind her, there is only darkness, and you have no choice but to look into those story-filled irises. When I saw this painting, I looked at the title and noticed a certain emphasis behind If I Could Tell You. No letter is capitalized except for the letter I, and that small detail held a certain amount of emotional punch. There was power to that phrase, attached to the piece itself. That girl needs therapy. At least, for now, she has someone to talk to and I have now talked to all of you listeners today. I'm happy that you were able to listen. This has been Eyes to Ears. My name is Bella Eatman, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.
0: With the mountain closing on Sunday and ample snow remaining in the San Juans, many skiers will be digging out their skins and heading uphill. For those wishing to ski the resort after the lifts stop running, uphill ski access opens on Saturday, April 8th. For others, backcountry terrain beckons, and many of those backcountry skiers turn to avalanche courses for knowledge on staying safe in potentially deadly terrain. Earlier this winter, KOTO profiled one such avalanche course. And we bring you that story again today. Conditions are forbidding this Sunday morning in Ophir. The wind is setting off small cyclones of snow along the roadside. And at the end of the Box Canyon, the pale cover of cloud makes it difficult to tell where the mountains end and the sky begins. But inside the town hall, a dozen skiers, undaunted, are planning their day's backcountry tour. Projected on a TV screen are different maps of the Ophir Basin, marking potential avalanche terrain, and crossed over with possible paths for skinning up through the snow. And it's
4: one of those things where it's like, well, the easiest is catch the road.
0: It's the third and final day of an Avalanche One course taught through a collaboration between the Silverton Avalanche School and the Guiding Service Mountain Trip. Many here are first time backcountry skiers. Student oh. Nick Crosby says he was drawn to the sport, but took the class so he could enter the backcountry more prepared.
4: You know, I grew up skiing, I was always on resorts or whatnot, and then realizing, you know, you can combine like the fun of just getting out, you know, into the kind of off piece stuff that you do in the summer but still get to ski and it's even better skiing. Uh it really lit up just kind of something inside me. Like I saw this as a prerequisite before entering the backcountry. Kind of laying the foundation now so I can go out and enjoy it, you know, later this season and seasons to come.
0: Dylan May adds "The class has been a way of getting a baseline of information before entering potentially dangerous terrain.
4: Really what this class does is it, it doesn't like give you access to the gnarliest terrain out there. It doesn't bar you from getting hurt in any way. It just gives you the tools to make the right decisions um, about where you go and when you go.
0: Course instructor and avalanche educator with Mountain Trip Chris Dixon says interest in backcountry exploded in 2020 at the beginning of the pandemic.
4: And that was largely due to the ski resorts all closing, but that happened in March, and there was still a lot of snow left on the slopes. And so people realized, hey, I still want to go skiing. There's plenty of winter left. Well, how do I do that? Oh, I get a an uphill backcountry setup that allows me to walk uphill and then ski back down.
0: Now, three years later, that interest is held strong. Dixon says newcomers are reviving the backcountry tradition.
4: And, you know, backcountry skiing used to be a thing that, I Think a small minority group of predominantly white men used to do in the you know 60s and 70s, and that came from the history of World War II and you know the 10th Mountain Division and all that. But it's evolved into a sport that is kind of all encompassing and it's growing really rapidly, similar into the way that climbing has. And if you choose to ski an avalanche train, you know it's important to acknowledge that your hobby, your leisure activity is potentially dangerous and deadly. Um, and so that's where my job comes in, trying to help people stay safe.
0: On the topic of risk, student Indica Young says she was aware of the danger posed by the backcountry when she turned to the avalanche class for guidance.
3: I feel equally as nervous about like the terrain and the conditions out there, but I feel like I know when it might be okay to step out and when I should really focus on like, you know, maybe skiing the resort or like doing other things on a day that's like has really high avalanche danger.
0: The tools Young now has in order to make that decision are extensive, ranging from shovels and probes to radios, mapping software, transceivers and other technology that can be used to collect information from different groups of skiers and allow skiers to communicate when they're out in the field. Dixon says all this can be overwhelming, but students usually catch on quickly.
4: It's awesome to see the progression from someone on day one and their level of understanding. And then on day three, you know, we go out on a full day tour and to see them in action, you know, setting the skin track, making decisions, making observations, talking the talk. And there's a lot of jargon involved in Snow and Avalanche world. Um, It's pretty amazing the amount of growth that can happen in just a three day course. Um, So that's pretty cool. And I think people in general walk away thinking, wow, I got a ton of new information and I learned a lot. And sometimes that can almost be too much information, but uh, inevitably it leads to a good foundation that they can build on from there on.
0: Student Molly Tice agrees. The class, she said, has made her feel both more independent and closer to the growing backcountry community.
4: Especially here, it's a really scary and can be daunting thing. But I'm excited to like be able to make my own decisions and knowledge is power. I think excited to have taken. Um, It into my own hands and yeah, know what to do on my own and be able to contribute and be more of an asset instead of a liability.
0: As this is day three of the course, students gear up for their backcountry tour and head out into the wind towards new terrain and maybe even some fresh tracks. Biting in to fresh produce or creating a salad from local leafy greens is one of the joys of summertime. Once again, this summer, the town of Mountain Village will offer fresh local produce to its residents through the Farm to Community program. The program provides qualified Mountain Village residents with locally farmed produce and goods. This year, the program will be available to 85 families for 14 weeks over the summer. To qualify, residents must live in deed-restricted housing and either be a parent plus one or more dependents or meet an income qualification. The program is free except for an application fee. Mountain Village partners with Norwood's Fresh Food Hub to supply the food shares. Shares will be available for pickup at the market on the plaza each Wednesday from June 14th to September 13th. Applications are available at townofmountainvillage.com. Sticking around for the off-season doesn't mean that you can't see the world. Next week, the Wilkinson Public Library will offer individuals the opportunity to travel the globe through virtual reality with the library's Oculus Go. Virtual spring break will take place at the Wilkinson Public Library on a first-come, first-served basis from noon to 3 p.m. on Monday, April 3rd. The event is for those 12 and up. Governor Jared Polis is in Japan this week. He's on an investment mission to build Colorado's economic relationship with the country. Japan is the state's sixth largest trade partner when it comes to exports. Polis is leading a delegation that will hold meetings with Japanese communities, investors, and government leadership in Tokyo and Osaka. The group is expected to discuss aerospace, renewable energy, and electronics technology The delegation is made up of representatives from Colorado's business community, CU Boulder, and the School of Mines. Meanwhile, Denver Mayor Michael Hancock is also in Japan this week, leading a separate city delegation. This upcoming Tuesday, Denver residents will decide the city's next mayor. KOTO's Lucas Brady Woods reports voters are faced with a wide field of candidates.
4: This year's mayoral race is unusually crowded. Current mayor Michael Hancock is term-limited after 12 years, and it's only the fifth open mayoral election in Denver since the 1950s. There are 16 candidates left in the race, although 17 will appear on the ballot. Former candidate Kwame Spearman dropped out of the race after ballots were already printed. The race is tight, and there's no clear frontrunner. If no candidate wins a majority of votes, there will be a runoff in June between the two highest vote-getters. The candidates have focused on issues around housing affordability, homelessness, and public safety. Ballot dropbox and vote center locations are available online. Denverites can register to vote through Election Day. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods in Denver.
0: Utah is the latest state targeted by false reports of shooters at schools. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KZM News' Molly Marcello reports from Moab, one of the communities which was impacted.
2: A hoax phone call sent Moab schools into lockdown on Wednesday. It was one of over a dozen affecting schools across Utah.
1: The 13 calls for the schools that we were able to confirm do all come from the same individual, who is a male individual.
2: Hillary Kellner, Communications Director with the Utah Department of Public Safety. That agency is currently working with federal partners on an investigation into the calls, Affected schools are located all over the state, including Ogden, Provo, Sevier, as well as Moab. Here, local law enforcement immediately responded to clear the schools. They say their district-wide search did not locate or identify any threats. In a press release, Moab City Police Chief Jared Garcia says he does not believe there is a current threat to students or the community related to this hoax. But he added the police department takes all reports of violence, quote, very seriously and says they are prepared to respond to any critical incident. Kellner emphasizes the same for law enforcement across the state.
1: I think it's just important to remember that um,
2: local agencies may have some different protocols in place, and their number one priority, and the number one priority for everybody, is public safety. States from Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, Colorado, and more have all reported hoaxes in recent weeks.
0: That was Molly Marcello reporting for KZMU from Moab. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for cloudy skies clearing overnight with a low near 10 degrees, leading to a sunny day on Saturday with a high near 45. Saturday night calls for clear skies, breezy conditions, and a low near 25 degrees. Sunday should be sunny with a high in the high 40s and Sunday night should bring clear skies and a low near 30. This has been the news for Friday, March 31st. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.